Welcome to the Resist Bob podcast, hosted by me, Melanie Dion. Join me this week and every week as I chat with the advocates and activists in your neighborhood at the intersection where policy meets people. Now, let's start the show. Welcome, my friends. I am your host, Melanie Dion. This is the Resist Bob podcast, and the midterms are here. You've registered, you've prepared, you've been screaming on social media, you have been poking your eyes out watching the news, and you've even done your vote drive, which you have, right? If you haven't, you can just text drive to 50409, let people know about the candidate who is closest to your values. You don't have to marry them, but if they are closest to your values, maybe you can use that and talk some people off the fence. So what do we have going on? We have armed vigilantes, which makes me feel like I was talking about news from a comic book, who were in Arizona near drop boxes and body armor. And the League of Women, the League of Women Voters of Arizona, they actually had to file suit against Melody Jennings and Clean Elections USA and make sure that they are not intimidating people from voting. So that means all the people who want to suppress your vote have gone home and it's fine and we're done or not. So whether you have voted already or if you're going to show up on election day, you need to know how to be ready at the actual polls. Mm -hmm. So I like to bring people who are just a little bit smarter than me and know exactly what they're doing and talking about when it comes down to the topic at hand. And that brings me to my dear friend and friend of the show, Rhea Thompson, Washington. Welcome back, Rhea. Hey, how y'all doing? Nice to be here. Thank you. So glad to have you as always. So for those who don't know, will you let our audience know a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. So I am an organizer in the short. I have been organizing for over 20 years now. And in the last 10 years, I've focused most, mostly on electoral campaigns. And that's not so much candidate related, but more issue related and making sure that folks have access to the polls and being able to vote safely and freely and fairly. And so I was at the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights under law and their voting rights project where I was a senior organizer and I helped, you know, states and civic engagement organizations create voting programs. And then I left there and went to CPD and created a voter guardian program for their affiliates that helped teach folks to not only do the poll monitoring and, and the regular things that you see people be able to ask questions and direct folks to their correct polling location, but also um, step in as interveners when we see harm happening, being those who are able to record, create like notes for posterity in the event that there is any litigation that occurs from intimidation or harms that occur at the polls. And then asking people like literally to and teaching them how to step in and interrupt violence and interrupt harm and protect people and make sure that everybody has the opportunity to cast their ballot in whatever without the conditions being harmful to them. Thanks so much, Rhea. And I'm glad you mentioned violence because I want to key in on that a little bit. Of course, we had this very in-your-face example of armed people in body armor near drop boxes. Very obvious, very obvious violence. But I wanted to talk a little bit and ask you to speak to some of the more 
passive forms of mm. violent suppression that people may encounter at the polls. Especially, we're going to be dealing with a lot of people who either haven't voted in a really long time mm-hmm. or maybe first-time voters. And experiencing those things, the light bulb may go off in their head where it's, mm, I don't know if that's right, but they don't know what to do about it. So yeah. I want to talk first about what your rights are when you get there mm-hmm. and what you are entitled to. So can you let people know like just kind of the basics, what you should expect when you show up to vote? Sure. When you show up to the polling location, you should expect that there is nobody who's going to be intimidating you on your way into the polling location from the parking lot there. Oftentimes folks will see that there may be like a police officer stationed at a polling location, but that's actually not the comfort that most folks think it is. It can actually be a deterrent to some communities and um, populations that actually don't have really great relationships with police or have adverse adverse like relationships with police and feel f- fear around them, right? And so there's that um, to note. And then also sometimes there'll be police who might be like driving through parking lots, you know, running tags to see if they can find folks who have tickets. Those kinds of things like are actually really intimidating factor to folks who may be first time voters and don't know. There are places in the country where there are actually polling locations inside of like police precincts. And those are obviously and generally located in Black neighborhoods, right? And we know that they do that because, again, that in itself is a deterrent to keep people. It's, it's a form of passive voter suppression. So those are the things to be aware of. But also when you approach, when you go into a voting location, there are people who have been working at the polls and running the, making sure the polls and they've been trained. And oftentimes those are the folks who have the highest knowledge. But sometimes they can misapply the the information that they receive and often, you know, like might turn some, somebody away because they're not clear on a new rule or the new law. Like whenever you are being like turned away or told that you can't vote somewhere, insist on voting. And if nothing else, casting a provisional ballot, because what will often happen is that. When you cast a provisional ballot, in order for that to make it count, there are ways that you can cure that ballot afterwards. That is, if you need to provide some information or you need to show that you live where you live or whatever it is, identification or however, whatever that they require, you can cure your ballot so that it can still count and it can still matter. And that happens after you cast your ballot. And it's usually in states where they have those types of remedies. It can be, you know, usually within the first first five days after the election. And so that that is to say, don't let someone tell you that you can't vote. Now, some of these election judges have been, again, there for a very long time. They think they know the law. And if you encounter someone like that, then you should use the 866-hour vote, which is an election protection hotline that, you know, folks all over the country use. It's staffed constantly during election hours and during election season. And you can call and let them know what location you're at, let them know what happened and how you were harmed. And they'll either get a poll monitor there to address that or get somebody who can show up to help you. The other thing is that there are tons of programs now because of the rise in violence at the polling locations in the last five or six years, because of that, the rise of violence, 
There are so many community groups who are creating and training like de-escalators and violence interrupters to be present and be there as physical body people who can help if somebody is yelling at you or, or trying to be threatening to you when you're casting your ballot. Those That's all a legal activity. Like That is not allowed to happen. And if, if the election judge is allowing those kinds of people to be outside of the polling location and you know allowing that harm to happen, then also, like again, those are, that's a time when you would let 866-hour vote know what's happening. And in that case, they might have to call, like file an injunction with the state to get people removed from that. And that, that happens on election day. And oftentimes there's many lawyers who are working behind the scenes to get that work done really quickly. And then the other thing that I recommend is that we remember that like, we're all a part of this, you know, society. We're part of this grand community. And despite what we may agree or disagree on, we should like at least value um, the other person's humanity enough to where if you see someone who is being harmed or if someone is being targeted and it's not putting you yourself in a form of danger to be in solidarity with that person, ask them, you know, ask the person who's being harmed, are you okay? Do you need help? And if they say that they do, ask them, like, be in in communication with them about what kind of help do they need. Maybe they just want somebody to stand with them as they walk and endure whatever other person's have. Maybe they want someone to like notify the election judge or whatever it may be, or maybe just a circle of people surrounding someone and kind of like using that solidarity method as a way to tamp down the hate or anger that they might be experiencing. Like that's what we teach, right? It's it's a form of mutual aid. It's a form of like protecting us as a community. And so I think that like, really that's what it boils down to is us, us remembering that you have the right to vote. You should not have to be paying any fees to vote. You should not. There's no one who should be telling you can't vote. If it's too arduous on you to go to another polling location, cast a provisional ballot where you are. Insist on casting a provisional ballot and then making sure that it goes through. And they should give you a piece of paper saying this is where you can follow up on your provisional ballot. Yeah, it's going to take us stepping up as a community. And this goes just to reiterate, this also goes for people who, when they show up, they are told their name isn't on the list, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. So So, I have a question. Sure. When, again, we've got first timers who will be Mm -hmm. coming, what is what I would call a rookie mistake that you see most often that you'd like to caution people against? Yeah, so sometimes you you register to vote, like if you get your driver's license in whatever state you may live in, and you get your voter registration card, and you go to the polling location thinking that that's all you need to be able to prove your identity. And I think that that is a misnomer that you can use your voter registration card in itself and alone to vote. What you need is some form of ID in most states that is a picture ID, depending on the state. Um, It can be varying types. It can be a college ID. Military ID is always accepted. A state ID of any kind is usually accepted. But the voter identification card, like your voter registration card, is oftentimes not actually what you're going to use to vote. And so I always tell people, like, when you go vote, make sure you have a picture ID and make sure you have a utility bill. Because those two things are always going to be able to prove that you have residency 
in a place and you're able to register to vote for that area again and then insist if somebody tells you that you can't vote because you're not registered or your name isn't on the polls ask for a provisional ballot if they say no you can't have one demand a provisional ballot and let them know that it is your right as a voter to be able to cast a ballot and they can't keep you from that if they don't want to do that call 866 our vote and have somebody have one of the attorneys reach out to the Board of Supervisors or the County Board of Elections to make sure that the folks who are trained and running our polling locations and polling sites actually are the folks who are, you know, enforcing the rules. And I've had to do that many a time. I've had to, like, I've seen people when I've been poll monitoring coming out saying, oh man, I didn't get to get, you know, I didn't get to vote. And I'm asking them like, why didn't you vote? Oh, they told me I wasn't registered. Okay, well, let's go back in and have a conversation and reach out to those poll monitors. When you see them, if you need help, that's why they're there. They're there because they know enough about the law in your area that they can step in and intercede on your behalf. So don't walk away from a polling location. Don't let someone tell you, oh, you can't vote here. You have to go all the way across the county. No, insist on casting a ballot in the polling location that is closest to your home, that is most convenient for you to vote and bring your documentation so that you can show, I live around the corner. Why would I drive all the way across town? And in most states and jurisdictions at this point, you know, you're able to do that if you're registered to vote. And that's important. Know the deadlines about when you're able to register to vote because most states don't have same-day registration. I happen to live in the District of Columbia where you can register on the same day to vote. But oftentimes there are deadlines like often 30 days out or 21 days out before the election. And so it's important when we're building our voting plans that we know what day is the last day to vote and the last day to register to vote. And if you're not able to register at the polls, then you need to go ahead and register to vote so that the next election that comes up, you're ready to go and you don't have to wait for it. But we have to continue to like make sure that people know at the minimum that you should not leave your polling location, period, when you are trying to cast the vote. Insist on being able to cast a ballot. And that also goes for if it is after the time. If it's eight o'clock, stay in line. Yeah, absolutely. If your polling location closes at 8 p.m. on election day and you're still in line, you stay in line until you cast your vote because legally, by law, you have the right, once you are in line at the time of the polling location to close, to be able to cast your vote. I've seen places in the South, I don't want to shout no names out, but when I was in Alabama, it was literally like I was arguing with an election judge because it was 755 And they were trying to start closing the elections. They were trying to close the polling location. And in the time it took me for for me to continue arguing with them, which meant they had to keep it open because they were distracted by our argument. They also called the police on me and the police did nothing but validate what I said, which is that the polling location had to be open until the doors closed. And so then they were, you know, then it was time for us to go anyway. So it was like, thanks so much for working with us. Have a great day. Since you brought up the states that like to uh, dabble in the suppression. Suppression. Mm -hmm. Can we have this conversation without talking about Georgia? Georgia has some very strict Mm -hmm. laws about they've done a lot to narrow the opportunity to vote, Mm -hmm. narrow the locations and also things like handing out water. Mm-hmm. So when you think about things like that, where you're you're kind of not even 
able to accept basic kindness. Mm-hmm. What is your recommendation? Not only your in the polls while you're voting recommendation, but what is your recommendation for just being prepared for mm-hmm. a long wait? How would you, what do you think are some of the best practices when you know you're voting in an area where the lines are going to be long? Yeah, like I always encourage folks to early vote because oftentimes early voting, you can get in, you can get out. But if you're not able to vote early and you have to vote on election day and you know there are going to be long lines, bring somebody with you. You need a buddy so that if one of y'all have to go to the bathroom, somebody can you know hold the place, whatever the things are, because you're not going to be able to have water if the line looks like it's more than an hour long Try to have a water bottle on you. Try to be prepared to wait and stand up or even maybe, look, I've seen people bring chairs and sit down to hold their line and because they're letting you know, I'm not going, I'm not, you know, I'm not going anywhere. I almost had a dream girls moment in my head, but they're very, it's giving Jennifer (laughs) Hudson, okay? No, 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 no. So you have to stay, right? You stay and you do what you have to do to vote. But the other thing is, is that like, Georgia is literally like the voter suppression playbook was it was a pamphlet before Georgia 2021. Right. Immediately, the backlash to the success of all of the work of the organizers on the ground in Georgia in 2020 and early 2021 led to the Georgia legislature immediately outlawing things like passing out water and snacks and like as somebody who was there in 2020 and passed out water and snacks to people the purpose of that was not to to encourage them to vote for the candidates that you know were a particular candidate either way it was to make sure that anybody who stood in line in the sun got some water and that they didn't pass out it was to make sure that folks were comfortable and safe and that they saw the utility in staying in line Instead of getting, you know what, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I have to do whatever, I'm going to go ahead and leave and I'll come back later because the coming back later almost never happens. And, and oftentimes the lines get longer as it gets later. But the point is that you really want folks like Georgia and then after they became the like the official playbook for how to suppress the vote, like 14 other states followed immediately. And so in, right now we're literally in the most like one of the most oppressive times of people just trying to cast their ballot. But what I've seen about voters and people who intend to vote and want to participate in the system is the moment that you try to suppress their vote. Oh, we show up, baby. It's like, oh, you don't want me to vote? Lines, hours long. But there's other pieces of suppression that we don't think of. Like in Georgia in 2020, one of the things that I learned was that one of the reasons that lines were so long is because the Board of Elections is in the same place. All of the servers, all of the computers are in the same building. And all of the staff and people who work in the you know, Secretary of State's office are on the same servers. So while people are trying to process their votes on these servers in the office that people are also using to do work, there was a lag in time. And so like that is another thing that causes those lines. The lines isn't always just because people, so many people are trying to vote, it's because the systems are literally set up not to work in a way that makes sense, not to work in a way that allows people to be able to utilize the process. So what you're really waiting on is for your vote to go through. You're really waiting on the system to work. You're waiting on the computer to come back up. And that is like, why, why do we do that? It's 2022. 
Like we live in a whole world where cars can reverse park for you. And you're going to tell me that you can't have servers in a building somewhere? I almost went on a tangent because I was like, they're all on Amazon servers anyway, but we're not going there today. (laughs) I'm just saying, okay? I'm just saying that, you know, the ways in which suppressing people's like right to vote happen is so, so subversive. And they are so, so expansive. It like things you wouldn't even think of. It's wild. So I like to talk. You're absolutely right. And I want to talk a bit about the suppressive value of misinformation. Mm. Mm. In your experience, Mm -hmm. how much of a factor, because that's a big deal now we've got we of course learned about the russian hacking in 2016 mm-hmm. everyone is chomping at the bit to see what elon musk is going to do with twitter so we so misinformation is on everybody's mind right now the right. actual can you talk a bit about the actual suppressive value of misinformation and what can be done to combat that like how how to counteract that you know I often think that the best thing that can counteract the lie is the truth, right? Except in this age of misinformation, we a lie multiplies so quickly. And literally, and think some of it sounds like so believable. You got to check your facts. Like, no, wait a minute. Based on what I know, is that right? It could get you if you're not paying attention. But the thing is that there's so many news sources. There's so many fact checkers. I miss the days when Twitter used to have that little fact checker under some news that would say, hey, this is misinformation or whatever. And really the media has kind of failed us in this way because a lot of the information that was coming out, you know, between 2016 and 2020, we had started getting into the truthfulness of like language and stories. And so we had those kinds of things because lies were running abundantly. And so the way to combat is to like do your research. I hate to say that because like on one hand, like you can Google a a question and get 50 answers, right? And so like, it's really hard to sift through, but you have to find people who you trust, like people in the media who you trust, whose positions you trust and do your own research and say, does this make sense? Like, if this makes sense to you, and, and you know, I don't want to get into conspiracy theories because, like, again, I understand why people want to believe things that are so outlandish. But at some point, you're making a cognitive choice to participate in, like, cult-like behavior by not thinking for yourself. And so as an educated voter, as somebody who is wants to make the best decision that is, like, for your family— Like, this is not just for, it's not for your immediate, it's for your family, it's for your community. All of these people, like, we all depend on us informing ourselves about what is on the ballot and making a decision that is best for us. And that may not always, again, they, it doesn't mean that we're always going to vote the same way, but I mean, you don't have to be believing that there are, huh. I don't even want to say any of them because it's just so many. I, I, I can't even do it. It's just like, you don't have to do that. Um, you, would f- you would fry your brain. I think one of the things that we've, I feel like maybe we've talked about this and it's been an ongoing conversation, particularly in the news media, is how often 
they've repeated misinformation as though they're stenographers. Mm. So when you just, yes. So there's a direct quote and you are directly quoting this person saying something absolutely egregious, but then there's no follow-up of this is absolutely not true. Right. No, <laughs> this nowhere. Is, and so we, we've had to deal with a lot of that as well. I know my personal, I have my little collection of nonprofit news sources that I go to because like with a lot of things, when you take the big money out of it, you tend to get people who are a little more down to business, a little more down to brass tacks. And that's been my take on it. And I will not go on a tangent about how we need to take the money out of politics. I won't. Listen. It's right there. It's right there, but I'm not going to do it. I get it. I'm with you. But it's so being informed about the amendments or the new ballot initiatives, whatever your state, however your state refers to them. For example, I'm in one of the five lovely states that are going to be voting on slavery. Louisiana, for all of you folks who think that backwardsness only exists in the sky, in the South. Yeah. Oregon and Vermont are right up there. It's Alabama, Louisiana, Oregon, Tennessee, and Vermont. Right. So when we're dealing with these things that are going to be voted on beyond being aware of the candidates, what do you recommend people do when they are preparing so that when they go in there, they have a clear picture of what is being proposed and how they want to vote. This is very wild because my wife and I literally went through this this morning. You know, we both, we live in DC and we were talking about an initiative, a local initiative 82 that the language, the way that it's written on the ballot initiative makes you think that if you vote, no, you're supporting the restaurant workers. Right. But that's what they, that's, the intentional way that ballot initiatives and amendments and things like that are written, right? Because they don't want plain language because if you write something in plain language then somebody might understand it with their cognitive mind, make the right decision. So uh, that aside, we were having this exact conversation because it was just like, well, now, you know, which is it? Is it vote yes or is it vote no? And I was like, no, we're voting yes because we don't want this. But that's the wild part, right? Like you have yeah. to vote yes to say no to something instead of and vote no to say yes to something. And all of that is very confusing. But what we did was we Googled sources. We went to, she Googled, she pulled up some folks. I pulled up some folks. I went to some Black organizers whose opinions and things that I trust in the city about these types of things. I checked on what they were saying. I looked at, you know, the restaurant opportunities collaborative and saw what their position was. I went and did my research. My wife did research as well and came up with, was like, oh no, I think we should have voted this way. Like, and it was like, wait. So we sat down and we literally just parsed through the information together to make sure that the decision that we were making was the right one. And when she had posted, um, you know, on her social media about voting yes for this particular initiative, somebody immediately was in her inbox like, why didn't you vote no? And da, 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 da. And it was like, no matter what, everyone has opinions. Everyone has, that's the whole point of this process. That's why it's beautiful. Like you literally get to find, you can go, find, it's a book report. Go yeah. find out what you want to like, what moves you 
and vote on it. That's It's like a participatory process that where somebody actually cares what you say and your vote has that much power. But you, if you don't, if you don't find you don't take the time to find out what your opinion is or let other people, you know, lead you without having any of your own analysis, well then I don't know, maybe you might as well not be voting because you're not, you're like skewing the system a little, you know? I think that we should all take the opportunity to inform ourselves. Be an informed voter because if and nothing else if it's not about like the people who are running at the top of the ticket. It's about ballot initiatives that are going to directly impact your lives, like immediately, oftentimes, right? And so those things, like, let's say, just take all of the candidates out of it. Vote for the initiatives that are going to change your life, that are going to impact your life on the daily basis. And if you just do that, that's enough. And that's the thing I don't, I think I, I appreciate you bringing that up because we are in this society where everybody hates everybody. Nobody is a great enough candidate. Nobody is getting the job done. Nobody is going to do whatever you want. Okay, that's fine. So are people aware that you can vote on the things that are focused on you? Can you speak a little bit to that for people who are, and obviously, (laughs) ideally, everybody should be having their input on everything, But for people who are struggling with that, Mm -hmm. can you speak a little bit to what that motivator might be and how that, how things like this is going to be amendment number seven in Louisiana, Mm -hmm. being aware of not bringing back slavery is important. Can you talk a little bit about that for people who are turned off on candidates? Yeah, and and I think that's the thing is that because we see so many commercials, like we are inundated across our our visual and like auditory spectrums with commercials about people, right? And oftentimes those people will espouse whatever their beliefs are, and that's great. They may or may not do that. But the important pieces in in every ballot are the are the parts that are going to affect how is money being spent in your community right your tax money what is that going to are they building more libraries are there is there more green space and if you don't have those types of ballot initiatives on your on your ballot when you go to vote then that means you could be organizing you're le- like you can be organizing to get those things as referendums so that people have the opportunity to put input about what your community looks like and what resources it has. I think that, again, because we get caught up in it, it becomes a like you versus them, us versus them. Who, who are the people that we're voting for? Don't spend your time doing that. Spend your time and that honestly was how like I, I was able to organize my wife right to vote because she was like, I'm done. I'm apathetic. Like I've been working in elections and voting for over 10 years. And this year was the first year that my wife was like, I'm not doing it. I'm not voting. And I said, OK, fine. Sure. Like, don't vote. Like, you know, whatever. And then I was just like, but what about the referendum? What about the initiative? ABT? Like, what about the people that are going to be affected by that? She was like, damn, I guess, yeah, I got to vote. Like, oh, okay, let me go. Let me just go vote for that. And that was the one thing that got her up and out of here at 830 this morning. Okay. So it doesn't have to be about 
a particular candidate. I didn't care for any of the candidates. But what I did want to make sure that I cast my ballot on was knowing that I supported the restaurant workers, employees here in the city of the district. So vote how you want to and for what you want. Thank you so much, Rhea. I appreciate you as always. Before we go, can you leave folks with what you want them to remember going into Tuesday? Yeah, the most important part about Tuesday is that it is your opportunity to use your voice. It is your opportunity to make a decision about what happens and what happens in your community and the people who are going to be leading that. And so on election day, don't get out of line. Try to go early and get it out of the way if you can. If you are are still in early voting in some places, go ahead and vote early now so that you don't have to wait till election day. But stay in line. And if anybody tries to harass you, anybody tries to intimidate you or keep you from voting, don't let that happen. Let someone know. Let a poll monitor know. Let an election judge know. If you're by yourself, call 866-HOUR-VOTE and let them know so they can send somebody to help you. You are not alone out there and the information is there to help you and support you. And so ask somebody for help. Don't do it alone because you don't have to. Thanks so much. And can you let the people know where to find you and your work? Yes. So I am the digital organizing director for the Redress Movement. We are looking to build a society in which racial segregation no longer occurs in in residential housing. And so you can follow me at the Redress Movement, but you can also find me on the Twitter nets. I don't know for how much longer, though, if I'm honest, but you can follow me on Twitter at Mrs. W-N-B-C-M-R-S-D-U-B-Y-A-I-N-D-C. And that will probably lead you to anything else that you need to know, but that's where I'm at. Thank you so much again, Rhea. And thank you for joining. I know you're going to be out there Tuesday if you have not been out already. And so I want to leave you with a couple of ways that ResistBot can help you secure your vote. So first of all, if you've already voted by mail, text track to 50409 and that will help you track your ballot. If you want to know where you have to vote, polls, P-O-L-L-S, text polls to 50409 and you will find your polling place. And lastly, but not leastly, we have the amazing drive function that y'all have been using blowing it up. I appreciate it where you can promote those candidates that reflect your values, not only those in your area, but if you see someone, because this, when we're dealing with national issues, when you see someone who is trying to be a congressman, trying to be a senator, and maybe they're not in your area, but you know that this is someone who can be an ally to your senator, your representative, you can drive support for them as well. Just text DRIVE to 50409, select the state, select the candidate, and push it out there. I, again, am your host, Melanie Dion. I want to thank you so much for joining. If you want to support ResistBot, if you like the podcast, if you like me, and you want to know how to support, you can text DONATE to 50409 or go to resist.bot slash donate and help us out. We don't sell your information. We don't blast you with text. We survive with folks like you and we appreciate you. So until next time, take care.
The Resistbot Podcast is a production of Resistbot Action Fund, a social welfare nonprofit organization. Resistbot is funded by monthly donors like you. Support Resistbot by texting DONATE to 50409. You can learn more and see a complete guide to using the service, a real-time list of trending petitions, learn how to organize your own pressure campaigns, or launch your own voter pledge drives at www.resist.bot. Thanks so much for joining, and we'll see you next week.